everyone. Welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become more real to us because we believe that helps us apply them to our lives better and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Kerry Mulstein, and I'm so happy to have with me our, our guest today. Uh, my Our guest is John Anderson, uh, who used to be my neighbor. He's uh, recently moved, not very far away, but still moved, uh, was uh, in the state presidency here in, in my stake. I uh, was uh, an entrepreneur, I guess still an entrepreneur, uh, started a business, sold it, but now has for quite some time worked with LDS Philanthropies, which I think ties in really well with our, our topic for today. Uh, and I have always, I, I, I miss having him, uh, not that I'm not very happy with the stake presidency as it is now, but I miss being able to hear from, from President Anderson regularly because he has a gift for explaining the scriptures and, and making them real in our lives, which is what uh, made me want to reach out to him. And I think that uh, this will be a great discussion. So welcome. Thank, good to have you with us. Well, Bishop, <laughs> Gary, it's, we, we're having a hard time changing our uh, the way we address each other, but um, that's a very kind introduction. I, and I, I mentioned to you earlier, I feel, I feel um, like very much of a layman in your uh, guest uh, uh, cue, so to speak, of who speaks here uh, with your followers on your podcast. But I'm grateful to be here. You're very generous and kind in your, your introduction. Um, I miss the Heatherwood Stake and you, your family, and everyone there. But uh, but things are well. And um, I, I work for the Philanthropies Department of the Church, as Carrie mentioned. I've been there now about six years. And uh, before that, I was in the business world, loved that experience. But um, honestly, what I do now, I, I just can't think of a more enjoyable thing that I could be doing with my life at this point. I wake up every morning excited to go to work. That was not always the case when I was in the entrepreneurial world. Um, but uh, the people I get to work with, um, my colleagues and the individuals um, who are very generous to the initiatives of the First Presidency, um it's just life-changing to be a part of this great work so well I, I should say i'm I have, I have two daughters and married to the love of my my life uh, Kristen, and uh and we do uh just move down the street a little bit further from carrie in in orm yeah yeah well i'm excited to explore this topic with you so maybe we can just set the the scene for our audience a little bit um and maybe I'll even I, I try to remember to give like a little kind of bullet point preview. So maybe I'll try and do this and then we'll see if it's what we actually end up talking about. But um, we're going to explore Matthew 25 and talk about uh, the three parables in there and how they, they intertwine with the chapter before it and, and with each other and kind of culminate in that last parable of the sheep and the goats. And we'll explore what that has to do with uh, uh, preparing for Christ and our relationship with God and each other in the covenant. So that's, that's kind of the preview of where we're going and we'll see if that's where we actually go. So, um, so let me set the the stage that, uh, and hopefully you've just listened to the episode where I talked with Andy Skinner about uh, the disc, the Olivet discourse or the signs of the times, uh, Joseph Smith, Matthew, Matthew 24, whatever you'd like to call that. Uh, but uh, that idea, and we, we said towards the end of that, that, uh, as he talks about the need to be prepared for meeting Christ again, whether that's the great second coming or we die and meet him, uh, that we all have a need to be prepared, but if we're prepared, we don't need to fear. Uh, and then he, I think, fleshes out how we prepare 
by providing three parables. It's it's there's no pause. There's a chapter break. In some ways, I wish it wasn't there because it makes us feel like these are separate things, and there's not. There's no pause. This is the continuation of his discussion of how we prepare to meet him again. And uh, and so let's think of the parables in that way. And and uh, with that, maybe just uh, let's jump in. Where where should we start? And what would you like to talk about, John? Well, um, this is, um, I, I know we probably shouldn't have favorite chapters of scripture, but um, if we can have favorites, this is certainly uh, one of mine. Um, for the very reasons which you um, described, Carrie, is that these three uh, just go hand in hand with one another. Um, the uh, I love the teachings of, of Elder Bednar on the parable of the Ten Versions when he talks about the difference between testimony and conversion, the lamp of testimony and the oil of conversion. Um, I, I personally feel... Um, that that conversion is strongly connected to that second parable of the parable of the talents. Uh, you know, sometimes we think of in, in, this, in this parable of a monetary gift, um, which it certainly does represent. And, and in my work in philanthropies, I get to see that firsthand, which is very humbling at times to see just how generous people are to help build the kingdom of God and help individuals um, in their personal need throughout the world. But I also think it refers to our time. It refers to our spiritual gifts. It refers to our testimony and the responsibility that we have uh, along with our treasure to share those things in a way which um, helps us to become more converted and more consecrated in, in who we are um, and in uh, the closest with our relationship um, with the Savior. I. I mentioned to you earlier, and uh, again, we don't know this was where this is going to go, but I woke up at 2.30 this morning, and um, and on my mind at 2.30, which I really wanted to go back to sleep, but the Spirit wouldn't let me, was um, a fireside that Carrie gave in our stake a few years ago. It was during COVID, um, and all the fun things we were dealing with in life at that <laughs> time, and it, it uh, we, we had that fireside as an out cropping, so to speak, of a message that you'd given in our state conference. And we felt a great desire to be able to devote more time to your message, which was on the Abrahamic covenant. And as I re-listened and watched that again last night, um, well, I should say early this morning, yeah. it reminded me uh, so much of the importance of relationships and that life here in this um, mortal experience is all about relationships. And you you pointed that out. It was our relationship with our Heavenly Father, our relationship with our Savior, our covenant responsibility to choose Him to be our God, um, and that by doing that, He He allows us, He, I guess, selects us, in a sense, uh, to become His people and to help carry about and accomplish His purposes and His work here upon the earth. And so maybe you can elaborate a little bit on that. Um, I, I'm not doing it full justice, but uh, for those who have not seen that fireside, and last I looked, Carrie, there were about 20,000 people who had seen that fireside. Maybe you ought to put a link at the end, because it's one of the greatest pieces of work I think I've ever seen you do. So. <laughs> well, uh, we can put a link in. Uh, those were 20,000 people who needed help going back to sleep at 2.30 <laughs> in the morning, but... Um, this uh well yeah I'd, I'm happy to talk about it and and tie it into this because I I feel like it's worth thinking about you know if if the Savior is telling us um how to prepare to meet Him again 
And uh, if we, we often take this idea of the parable of the ten virgins to mean, I think it, that parables are meant to be interpreted a number of different ways. But one of the interpretations that is very valid, and we've heard a number of times from uh, even in general conference, is that these are people who are invited to the feast. And so people who are invited are those who already have a relationship with the bridegroom. So one way of interpreting that is people who have a covenant, uh, who are covenant holders. Uh, they've made a covenant with, with God, um, and so they're invited. Um, and But then we get half of them who end up really being ready and half who don't. And I have to kind of liken that back to uh, in the the signs of the times discourse the olivet discourse uh where you have the savior saying there'll be two working in a field one is is taken and the other isn't two working at a millstone one is taken and, and one isn't and there are a number of ways to take that but i think one of the ways is that uh not everyone who you would think is going to be uh ready to meet the lord will and and sometimes you won't even be able to tell from their outward actions they may look exactly the same in their outward actions but there's something going on in their heart that makes a difference between whether they are a true covenant keeper or not. Now, I'm always sensitive when I talk about this because there are a lot of people who are like, oh, no, I'm not doing enough. I'm not being enough. And so I'm not a covenant keeper. And I don't want to I don't want to go there. But I think that this these parables help us flesh out. So what does that mean for us? How can we not worry about that, but but be OK? So let's let's keep that in mind as we go. Um, so. I, I, I think that that's in some ways what I mean, again, these are parables and teachings can be taken a number of ways. But one of the ways we can take this is that if we want to be prepared for Christ to come again, we need to be in a covenant relationship with him. That's not just a covenant relationship of outward actions, but is a real relationship where it's a relationship of the heart. We may not be perfect. None of us are. But our heart is in it. And I think that's really where it comes down to. Our heart is in it. We want to have relationship with God. We want to have relationship with Christ. Um, and and that's where I think that second uh, parable, the parable of the talents, becomes really important. And, and in some ways, the name is really unfortunate um, because, uh, first of all, when we hear talents, one of the things we're, we think of is, oh, well, am I a good enough singer? Am I a good enough piano player? or a writer or something along those lines. Um, and it doesn't mean that kind of talent, uh, although I think we can apply it that way as long as we keep in mind even more important talents like uh, loving and listening to people and caring. And, uh, you know, those are the most important talents. But that's not what it means. Uh, it's certainly that's one, what you're doing with the gifts God has given you is a question to be asked here, but it doesn't mean talent the way we usually think of talent and it doesn't necessarily when we realize oh talent that's a financial thing it doesn't mean that either right it, so it can again it can be taken that way but it doesn't mean uh what have you done with the money god has given you um, or the the financial position god has given you I, I i think it's about whatever position you're in wherever you're at emotionally spiritually physically whatever your position is in life whether you uh live in bel-air or whether you are in um, a, a cardboard hut in India by the airport, um, uh, wherever you are, what are you doing with your opportunities to love God and love each other? Um, and are you are you just coasting, 
which is what the the one of the people in the, the parable does, right? Or are you really trying to make something with the love that you have and the love that you are given from God? Uh, and so I think all of that comes into this uh, idea of covenant and chesed that you, you, you've talked about. So I don't know, that's kind of where I, I'm, I start thinking, but I'd love to hear more of your thoughts along those lines. Well, as you were speaking, it reminded me of the seventh chapter of Moroni, where I believe Mormon, at the beginning of that chapter, says, do you pray with real intent? Do you Are you offering a gift with real intent? Because if it's not with real intent, it profiteth you nothing, right? Yeah. It's like, so we can be doing, going through the motions of things, but where is our heart? And, and where is that true conversion? Um, you know, there is a distinction and a difference between testimony and conversion. And I think the Lord, uh, through these parables, is helping to see, help us to see that, to not just be, uh, as a Paul, you'll know the reference, but to be not hearers of the word, but doers, doers as yeah. well. And that if we're doers of the word, um, that what does the doer of the word do? Um, the uh, Those things which are pure and undefiled before God, which is visiting the sick. Uh, helping uh, the widow and the widow, widower. It's taking care of each other, right? I think believe that's what he says in those verses. And that is the action part of the testimony, that conversion part of being able to have those drops of oil incrementally put into our vessel throughout our lives as we become more aligned with the Father and the Son in their work and choose to um, love and serve them by loving and helping one another through those talents, so to speak. Now, yeah, can it be... You and I live in a state where, well, I used to live in a state where there, there was amazing talent when it came to musical ability. We had the yeah. Hoffmans there, Dallin Bayless there, and, and, and you and I have both have experienced in, the, in certain meetings, spiritual moments when they have performed that through their talent have brought us closer to God. So to your point, I don't believe that's entirely, not even close to entirely what the Savior was representing there, but this broad spectrum of talents, so to speak. The temporal things were given, the spiritual gifts were given, uh, a testimony, which is a gift um, through the spirit that we're given, and um, and just other gifts of, of talent that were that, that all help to build and accelerate, help to build the kingdom, accelerate uh, the preparations for the Savior's return. So I think all those are critical, and sometimes we emphasize more than one. And, and to your point, I think to some are given um, more in one area than another. In, in my particular job experience now, I work with individuals who have significant wealth. And um, and it's interesting when I work and talk with them, because often the conversation comes like this. It's like, John, I, I just was lucky. I am so blessed. I don't have, I mean, I didn't do anything to really deserve this outpouring of resources that the Lord has given to me. And I know that he's entrusted these with me so that I can help to, to build the kingdom and help other individuals. And I feel that stewardship that comes um, with that gift that he has given to me in a financial sense. That's no more important uh, than someone um, listening to someone when they're struggling with a severe uh, emotional challenge that is at the brink of being able to maintain their existence here in mortality and to be able to be with them and hear them in such a way that um, that helps them to see that they can do it, that they can hang in there, that through the atonement of Jesus Christ, all things are possible and just build a bridge for them to get to the next hour or to the next day. 
They're both so significant, but they're both so different, but they're all needed. And I think that's what the Lord's trying to, to, to help us understand through the parable of the talents. One was given one, two, and five. It was different. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It just matters what we do with those. That yep. is the thing that matters. Yep. I, I, I would absolutely agree. And so I, I, sometimes I, I meet people who are a little bit down on themselves uh, for what they feel like they have or can do. And and some of that is because we tend to spotlight more visible talents that are often, I mean, they're, I, they're great, but but less important. And we don't spotlight the, the less visible talents like patience or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um but some of it's also like we, you said. I mean, we're we're given different things. So uh, anyone who wants to stack themselves up against President Nelson is probably in a bad spot, right? <laughs> I mean, there's someone who is uh, gifted with incredible intelligence and energy and health and perfect pitch and whatever. We we could go on and on and on with the list, right? Uh, and and uh, so the question isn't how well you stack up against President Nelson. Um, the question for President Nelson is, what did you do? with the gifts God gave you. And he, and he did pretty well. I mean, I'm nice of me to assess that, but anyway, uh, but uh, the question is what, what do I do with what I can do? Yeah. Um, and again, I think that comes down to our intent. Most of these are not measurable. The impact you make as, as you minister to people is often not very measurable, but your intent is, is incredibly important. And, uh, I think that's what it comes down to when we speak of the covenant. Uh, are you, as you said, with with pure intent, uh, are you loving God because you really love God? Uh, I mean, to some degree, I, sometimes it feels like we can almost love God perfunctorily. Well, yeah. I'm supposed to love God, so I love God. Um, but how do we really feel? And don't feel bad. We all have room to grow, right? No one has a perfect love for each other or for God yet. So don't feel bad about that. Just try and love a little bit more tomorrow than you did today. Um, and same thing with each other. How, how, just love each other. And uh, I think that we'll we'll find that the parables push us in that direction. I, I love I love that, Carrie. Um, you know, the world encourages us to um, judge one another. Uh, to compare and to compete with one another. Um, And especially with the social media that in our day and age that we live in, there's so much of that that is so detrimental and so harmful. One of the great things that came out of that um, adult session of our state conference that we we had after you had introduced, um, um, what I would say is you kind of build upon President Nelson's theme of let God prevail in our lives, the covenant, you know, uh, gathering Israel, um, those kind of priests that we, we gave you 10 minutes and, you know, we needed to give you 10 hours, uh, uh, but it built a great foundation for the rest of that meeting. And then, as you recall, we had a sister from our state, her name is uh, Janita Anderson, who stood up and talked about her experience. Um, she was a convert to the church uh, while she was attending BYU uh, from the island of Mauritius, which is just off the um, off the Madagascar coast, her father, her father, I believe, was the ambassador to the United States for Mauritius, and a friend ended up at BYU. And she talked about her experience of joining the church and her Hindu heritage, her her Indian culture, um, her the racial differences that she had experienced, um, some of the prejudice 
the yeah. prejudice that she had experienced even within the church. Some and, tough things. Oh, it was tough. Um, yeah, if, even within the church, some tough things. She, But she was so um, inviting for us all to be inclusive and to come together. I remember her saying things like, you know, things we've heard before, but to be, we, we can disagree, but not be disagreeable. We can have opinions, but not be opinionated. Um, we can um, judge, but not be judgmental with one another. Um, and it's this idea of the, and, and the, she brought in this concept of, it goes back, I think, to the parallel of the talents a little bit. We all are different. Um, and in some respects, the more the church grows internationally and globally, the stronger I believe it's going to become because of those differences and the unique insights and perspectives that are coming into our church because of the global nature of the church now. And as, as we let we strive to become at the invitation of the Savior and our, our prophet presentation, a, a, a people of one heart, of one mind, where there are no poor among us, no poor temporally, I would say spiritually, emotionally, where we bring all of those individual pieces that are different but strengths. It's like a, it's like a, a great ward council. You have all these members of the ward council with vast differences of experience and many different insights and perspectives. And with that ward council comes incredible outcomes because of the uniqueness of the experience and the different perspectives that are shared. And the revelation flows through them individually to collectively bless the whole. And I think sometimes we gotta be careful um, to make sure that we are not um, getting caught in our own cultural norms of the church over the last 200 years, so to speak, and not allowing these amazing insights and perspectives that are coming from all over the world we're now seeing a general conference, right? It's pretty amazing to see who's speaking to us at general conference and to get the insights and perspectives that come as they share their gifts, their talents with us, and as they bless us as a people to become more of one heart and of one mind. And so we got to stop comparing and competing. We got to, we've got to start uh, um, embracing and um, I'm trying to find the right word. Um, uh uh, praising, so to speak, our differences in a way that unite us in individual uh, and unique ways that um, can only be done in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I don't know. Rambled for a while. You cleaned up no, my uh, so so well said. I would say I, I I couldn't agree more. And especially let's let's quit like comparing is only harmful. Really, uh, it, it either makes us feel bad about ourselves, or we defend ourselves by starting to feel negatively towards someone else, uh, and and none of that is helpful. I would say the comparison that we want to do is um, with ourselves, and we even have to be careful with that because sometimes we have unrealistic expectations for ourselves. I think that's often because we compare ourselves to others. But anyway, it still sets an unrealistic expectation for ourselves. So we should be comparing ourselves and asking ourselves, are we doing better yeah. than yesterday? And and acknowledging that the answer some days is going to be no. I don't know anyone who has a perfect yeah. linear progression that's always up. 
Uh, there are always ups and downs. The question is, what do you do when you have the down? I think this is one of the great messages of scriptures, especially the Book of Mormon in the Old Testament, where you see these cycles again and again. The question is, uh, is not whether you're going to fall. It's what are you going to do when you do fall? Are you going to get up and come back to God or are you just going to go away? Um, and you could actually even see that pretty strongly in the New Testament with questions like, will you also go away? Um Th th those are uh, that's the real question. So as we compare with ourselves, let's do it knowing that we're going to have down days and knowing that when we do that, we need to recognize. That's why we want to compare with ourselves so we can recognize ah that was a down day. So what am I going to do about it? I'm going to try again. And you may have 10 down days or three down years in a row or whatever else. Um, the question is, are you going to keep trying to have a better day tomorrow? And uh, and that's the comparison that will lead us to with true intent to to being true covenant keepers. So, so uh, I, as you're speaking, I'm hearing President Nelson in my my mind say, "Talk to us about um, daily repentance." Yeah, you know, when I yep. first heard him speak about this, I thought number one, I thought to myself, "Well, what do you have to repent of daily?" Yeah, you yeah. Know, two, um, I have plenty of things, but but I think too often we have looked at this uh, repentance is change. We know that scripturally. It's it's um, hopefully positive change, but repentance is not intended to be punitive. It's intended to be progressive. It's intended to move us and advance us more closely to who we want to become, to align ourselves more closely with our Savior and who He is. And so when I when it finally registered with me what that was, daily repentance was actually kind of fun. You know, yeah. I I have my my little collection of favorite chapters, uh, as I mentioned before, one of those is Doctrine and Covenants, section 121, you know, um, talks about being called and chosen and why we are and why we aren't to some degree. And, and those are things that I think each of us face, certainly I face in my daily life. That's very much relationship oriented section of scripture. Use persuasion and long suffering, gentleness and meekness and love unfeigned and kindness with one another, right? Um, Moroni chapter seven on charity is another one. So so when I go through my daily repentance, uh, to your point, there are days where like, oh man, I really blew that. I was not long suffering. I was not patient. I was defensive yeah. and I was reactive. I was very domineering in the way I handled that situation. Um, um, and then there's days where I go, you know what? I did pretty well. I did better than I normally do. You know, I was a little more, I used a little more persuasion in that discussion, and I was patient and kind. And I, I strove to, one of the things I love about that 121st section of the Doctrine Covenants is a true, is it true knowledge? True knowledge, I think that's the term. Persuasion, long-suffering, gentleness, meekness, true love, true knowledge, I think, which to me, if, if I'm getting the term right, I'll look it up in a minute, but is understanding a true knowledge or a true perspective, the way the Lord refers to that, is that we understand one another, that we seek to understand before being understood. And you pointed that a little bit earlier as a gift, as a talent that certain people have to be able to listen and for people to be felt like they've been heard in a conversation and understood. And I don't have that gift. I have to work really hard for that gift. That's something that's difficult for me to do because I just want to be understood. You, I want you to understand me. But the principle of daily repentance is a miraculous thing when I think when we understand it the way the Lord and the way President Nelson wants us to see that as progressive, not punitive. 
That's good. And I'd never thought of that as being one of the main messages of the parable of the talents. And yet I think it is that, 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 that notion of daily repentance. That's, that's how we're going to go from five to 10 talents yeah. is by each day uh, uh, coming to God uh, with an honest assessment. Here's how I did <laughs> help me to do better. Yeah. Um, uh, that's good. Very good. Well, maybe so, that. Oh, go ahead. You, well, I don't know where you want to go. I wanted to, I wanted to get your insight. We didn't. We haven't talked about this ever, and I thought it was. And maybe this will be something you'll edit out. So I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> You've got great ed- editors. I think your children edit for you. If I remember. Yeah, yeah. But one of the things that I uh, okay. So the parable of the sheep and the goats. Um, the Lord calls all the nations before Him. Right. He separates them as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He says He sets the sheep on the right hand and the goats on the left. This parable, we don't want to be goats. We all want to be sheep. Even though sheep get lost sometimes, we definitely still want to be sheep right now. And he says to them, you know, come, ye blessed of my father, enter into the joy prepared for you from the foundation of the world, I believe is how he says it, right? And he puts them on his right hand. And then he says to them, we won't read through the whole thing. Everybody knows they've already read it. But I was in hunger, you gave me meat. Thirsty, you gave me drink. Stranger, you took me in naked, you clothed me. Sick and imprisoned, and you came unto me. Well, when did, when did we do that? We don't remember this experience, you know. When, when did we see you? You know, I think I would have remembered that, but, but I don't. Um, and he says, you know, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, my brethren, you have done it unto me. Okay. Well. Often we just stop there, you know, because that's our focus. Um, We don't want to be on the left side or on the goat side. But then he has the same conversation with those on the left, right? And and they come to him and they they say, well, well, when did we see you hungry and a thirst or naked and and, uh, a stranger and and, um, or sick and imprisoned? And interesting, the words used in the scriptures, I think, and did not minister unto you. Mm. We've been talking a lot about ministering lately (laughs) over the past few years. Um, And of course, the way that's presented, there's a broad scope of how we can interpret that. Um, But I think that the verbiage is interesting, at least to me. The higher, holier way of home teaching and visiting teaching, right? The ministering program of the church. And I think most of us are still really struggling with this. Um, As I talk, I know in our stake and in most stakes I've experienced, people are really having a hard time embracing what that really means to minister, to care for one another, um, and to do it with that real intent that, that you talked about earlier, that we, we do it because of the love that we have for our Heavenly Father and for each other. And I believe there's a carryover here, because here's the thing. They don't, neither, neither one of these group recognize the Savior in the parable, so to speak, as being the one that they did or did not render aid to, okay? So roll back to the beginning parable, the ten virgins, The five foolish virgins, after they've gone away to buy for themselves, as it says, come and approach the door and knock. And the door is open. And the the language in the New Testament, in the uh, the, um, King James Version says, uh, the Savior said unto them, I know you not. Okay. Well, what did Joseph Smith change that to? 
which I think is one of the most incredible changes to me, just so simple, but so, so, so amazingly obvious if you're looking for it. He changed it to be, he know not me. Of course he knew him. He sent the invitations, as you said earlier. He knows us all. Um, but I think there's a connection, and I don't know that I understand it fully, to the parable of the sheep and the goats when they come to them and said, when saw we thee? Yeah. I think, I think the ones who administered to the those who were the least of their brethren, least of them who were their brethren, the scripture says, they saw the divinity in them. They saw the Savior in them. They saw through his eyes one another. Mm. And that's what it's all about, right? That's what we've been talking about is being able to experience that change of heart that King Benjamin talks about, um, where all we have a desire to do is to, to love and to care for each other. We have no more disposition to do evil. And it's interesting that in those same chapters in Mosiah and 4 and chapter 5, where the people's hearts were changed, they were converted, they had no more disposition to evil. He pointed out the need for them to, 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 um, to give the same love and concern that their Father in Heaven had given to them by blessing them with everything that they needed, including their forgiveness, to give that to one another. Everybody's a beggar, he says. We're all beggars. So why are you going to withhold your substance? Why are you going to withhold your gifts, your spiritual gifts, your time, your testimony to one another? Your heavenly father, he doesn't do that. He gives it all freely to you. So what he gives to you, share freely with others. That is what creates Zion. That's how we become one heart of one mind. That's how we truly come together. When we finally get, I think, this understanding of what ministering really is, we start to see the Savior in each other. And we see each other through him. We see as he sees, as it says in Moroni chapter 7 in charity. We will see him as he is. I think when it says we will see him as is because we've been purified, come purified as he is pure, it's because now we see each other the way he sees us. And if we saw him hungry or a thirst or naked or a stranger, we would definitely act. But are we going to act as we see the divinity in each other? I don't know. I, I haven't really flushed this out much because it came to me this morning. So I'm hoping you have some perspective that I don't understand on this. Well, no, I, I think you're exactly right. I think that's the perfect perspective that uh, it, it is about again, love and relationship, right? In fact, you just, as you were talking about, uh, you know, kind of the way that uh, King Benjamin puts it, it sounds to me like he's saying, okay, as God has shown chesed to you, you have to show chesed to each other. Uh, this covenantal love, the same covenantal love, bond, and relationship that God shows you, you, you should have, show that back to God, but you should also have that with each other. And so it does come down to, to relationships. And I'm, I'm glad you brought up, you know, it, it does use the word minister under the, uh, there, and I'm glad you bring up that, that word. Um, uh, this is something, you know, in our, our ward council and bishopric meetings and so on, we've been uh, in uh, different meetings. We've been talking about a lot lately. And, and we recently had an experience in my ward that I think maybe can help highlight what you're talking about. Um, 
So there's, uh, and I've, I haven't gotten permission to share this, so I'm going to be vague and not use names and so on. But there's a, a great man in our ward, dear friend of mine, uh, who recently had an accident and had to be life flighted. And uh, his wife is, uh, you know, understandably really trying to reach out to get some help. She also needed to get uh, the the vehicle he was in when he had the accident and had to need to, needed to get it taken care of and, and uh, so on. And then she wanted someone to give him a blessing. And she was texting me. Unfortunately, I was in Egypt and it was the middle of the night for me and and I wasn't uh, waking up to get the text. So I, I was not available. Um, so it's interesting who she turned to. So let me the kind of backtrack in the story a little bit. For years, her husband had been the minister to a family, fantastic family, but that often needed help with some things that he was particularly good at helping with. Uh, but he just fell in love with this family and he would reach out. He was there for their kids. Uh, and when their kids were, struggled with whatever, uh, he was there for them. And he established just a really strong, fantastic relationship with that family. Now, he was their minister. They weren't his minister, right? Yeah. But who does she think of? When she's in her hour of need, she thinks of the family they have a relationship with. It doesn't matter who was assigned to minister to whom. It, what mattered was the relationship, the loving relationship that had been established. And so she reached out to his family, and they started the ball rolling, got in touch with my counselor, who's also that kind of guy who just is always there for everyone whenever they need it. He's 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 the guy on the right hand, right? He's always there to minister and uh, take care of people who are sick and so on. And they they went and they got the blessing, got the vehicle off the mountain, everything else just took care of 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 everything. But it happened because so maybe not according to the flow chart that we would typically draw yeah. if we wanted things. She didn't go to her minister, who was a great great guy by the way, fantastic minister, but um but that it didn't go that flowchart way, but close enough because it was based on relationship and love and and that's what the covenant is about. That's what this parable is about, I think. Um do we love God so much that we automatically love each other more? Do we automatic or do we love each other so much that we automatically love God more? They 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 circle about on each it's other circular. because we are God. Yeah, it's it's a spiral up. I hope yes. um, sometimes a spiral down, but hopefully a spiral up. Uh, but it is true if if you start hating God or hating some of His children, then it will spiral down. It will affect both relationships. Yeah. Um, but uh, this to me is the covenant, and according to the the way we look at chapter twenty four and chapter twenty five together. This is the culmination. Chapter 26 is going to be a break. There's something else that's going to happen. This is the culmination of the Savior's teachings on how to be prepared to meet him again. And it is about the intertwining of loving each other and loving God, right? He's focusing especially on our loving each other, having a relationship with each other, ministering to each other, not because we're assigned. If it starts out because you're assigned, fine. But at some point, this should move into because you care. And then because you love and then because they are just part of who you are, um, that that's that's where the progression this should be. And so that's the focus. But he makes it very clear that that, that the relationship with him is integrally tied up to your relationship with each other so that when you have done it to others, you've done it unto him. And it doesn't matter what you've been doing for him if you haven't done it for his children, then you haven't really done it for him. Um, and that seems to be his focus on. Well, we could put it this way. He is summing up what we need to do to be prepared to meet him again by saying, have you loved God with all your heart, might, mind, and strength? And have you loved your neighbor 
Well, and I would even change it. I think at this point he would, well, maybe in a few days from, from this, he would change it because he's going to say a new commandment. The commandment was to love your neighbor as yourself, but he changes it and he says a new commandment, love each other as I have loved you. So that's higher, right? That's that's higher. So uh, that's what I think he's saying. If you want to be prepared to see me, it's by keeping covenant, and that is by loving God and loving each other. That's how you prepare. It can look a thousand different ways. And I think yes. the parable of the virgins, the talents, and this one, there are a whole bunch of different ways of taking care of other people. And we can talk about people who are physically naked and clothing them and physically hungry and, and feeding them and physically sick and and administering to them and physically in prison or we can talk about emotionally and spiritually in every other way naked hungry sick in prison and ministering to those needs all of the above is the answer on that um but the 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 there are the emphasis again is there are a thousand ways this can look and i don't have to look like you or president nelson so again back to this comparison um in the way that i love and the way that i minister i just have to love and minister and that prepares me to see Christ again. That's what makes me a true covenant keeper. That's that's so beautifully put, Carrie, and so uh, inspiring. You know, I think if if we could just um, see in each other um, for just a glimpse who we really are, you know, yeah, by nature that's within us, yeah. We have that to match the natural man, and and we all do. We're we're trying to overcome that, but there's a divinity there. There's a a divine nature that that well, you you've had this opportunity, I know, because I've had the opportunity. When you when you serve in the uh, capacity of a bishop, something changes, or at least it should change in you. Mm. Um, I um, I don't ever remember a conversation sitting in the chair of a bishop where being told really difficult things that I did not feel an outpouring of love and compassion and whatever can I do to help. There was no sense of eternal judgment being passed. No. It was like, it's okay. The beauty of the atonement of Jesus Christ makes all things possible. Um, what can I do in my role to help you? Some of the most beautiful meanings well, the most beautiful and inspiring meetings were the membership councils. That yes. were the most yeah. spiritually impactful meetings in my life have been some of those membership councils. When hard and, and I, oh, sorry, you know, sorry, keep going. No, 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 you go ahead. I, I, I it's that Zoom lag. I, I thought you'd pause anyway, finish and then I'll say. Oh, and, um, and so I just think it's important for us to be able to, um, to just love, as you said, and to care for one another and to to get out. Are we out of time? I don't want to. No, we're out of no, time. no, we're good. Well, you, you say uh, did you, uh, there was something maybe I wanted to say, but I want to hear what you wanted to say first. And maybe I was going to say, I, I, just to add to what you were saying about um, the, the feelings during those councils, I have never felt. Uh, well, let me put it this way. I love my family with all my heart. And uh, the spirit has increased my capacity to love them. But it's the spirit that increases your capacity to love. I have never felt a greater love, ability to love and greater love than I have during those disciplinary councils. When the spirit comes and gives you a, a brief glimpse 
Uh, and not, I mean, especially the, those councils, but even anytime someone's been in, honestly trying to repent, like really wanting to change. The Spirit gives you a brief glimpse of how God feels about them. And that love is uh, overpowering and amazing, just incredibly uh i i can't even describe it just uh it's it's being changing to recognize how much god loves us well and for some of us we 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 maybe have to have those calls for me to be able to see that um, yeah. Um, yeah we need some more yeah. nudging <laughs> so sometimes you know calls come for individuals more than they do for those who they're called to serve and i certainly feel yeah. like that and and the particular is my my calling to serve as a bishop because it did change me. It changed how I viewed people. And, um, and for glimpses, I could see them, how the savior did. And that was a life-changing experience for me. So yes, I am. Um, I just think that uh, this, these parables are so instructive on um, this idea of the importance of relationships here that we came here you know, I, I heard a quote once, um, I don't know who said it, it was on my mission, it was a few years ago, but it said something like, um, we did not come to this earth to see through one another, but to see one another through. Hmm. That's good. We're here um, to be advocates for each other, to help one another. And so often the world wants us to compete and compare with each other instead of trying to lift and to build and to encourage one another. Um, and and that, that there's like there's some competition on how many of us can go home. There's not. I mean, our Heavenly Father wants us all to yeah. return and to come back to him. And I think you talked about it earlier, um, serving the Lord with all of our heart, might, mind, and strength reminded me of the fourth section of the Doctrine and Covenants where it talks about the marvelous work shall come forth among the children of men, though therefore... Go forth and serve with all your heart, mind, mind, strength. Um, um, that your eye may be single to the glory of God. Mm. Okay? is And that's referenced a few times in the scriptures in different places. Well, by definition, the glory of God is his own definition. This is my work and my glory to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. Yeah. So, so for truly serving with an eye single to his glory, which is to bring about the eternal life of his children, we're partnering. We're, we're on the same page. We're, we're doing everything we can. In fact, I think if we're more concerned about going home ourselves, we've missed the whole reason why we came. Yes. If we're so preoccupied with my own eternal life, then we haven't truly lost ourselves in the service of God and in, our, in the service of our fellow man. Of course, the Savior is the perfect embodiment of that example that he gave himself in every aspect um, for us. And so we have got to be outward facing as Elder Bednar always teaches and to always be looking to build and to lift. So I, um, we're probably close to out of time. I wanna share one, one concept or one thing because the philanthropies department of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints where I work, that's been another game changer for me. Um, we it's I, I like to say we have a um, a little piece of Zion. <laughs> I, I it really is amazing. Not only do I get to work with incredible uh, donors who their desire is to just help build the kingdom of God through the prophetic priorities that the first presidency outlines, 
um, and that the presiding bishopric administers. But but here's my here's my mission statement or or my job description. I guess I would say my job description is to help facilitate inspiring giving experiences in the lives of individuals. Now I'm sure you got a great job description, Carrie, but I don't know if you're going to top that one. <laughs> I mean that is my job description. And when I meet and I counsel with my colleagues, that's our focus. Can you imagine what some of our meetings are like? Yeah. Can you imagine the dialogue that we have with one another? I, I've seen in some of our director council meetings um, disagreement, but it's never disagreeable. It's opinions that are expressed, but it's never in an opinionated way. It is a coming together and a consensus like the Quorum of the Twelve talk about, right? In the First Presidency, yeah, we we come from different experience, but we come together and move forward, and it's never in a spirit of contention. And for me, I, I strive to bring that spirit of what I feel in my um, role with the Philanthropy Department at work into my home. And hopefully from my home, it should work both ways, into my home from work, yeah. but it also goes into, my, into our wards. It goes into our stakes. We need to develop in that state conference that was happened, um, that adult session, um, which to me was one of those where, you know, I got up to speak and after you had spoken to Janita, I was like, okay, I'm not talking about what I was supposed to talk about today because the Holy Ghost gave me a completely different direction to go. But it was this, this concept and attitude of we are striving to be the Lord's people like you spoke about, we we need to choose him to be our God. The Lord, uh, I mean, our Father in heaven is gathering together in one, all things in his son, Jesus Christ, in preparation for his return. Right now, President Nelson's talked about that. We have to have a people prepared to receive him. Why not us? And why not now? And those were the words that came after you had spoken and Janita to me, uh, had spoken to me, about why not? Where are we going to do this? We know this has to happen. What are we waiting for? The Lord is waiting on us. He's given us everything. The tools are in place for us to become his people in such a way that we can prepare to receive him again. And why are we waiting? What is holding us back? I think if we could capture the spirit of Matthew 25, it would be a huge springboard for us uh, to, to become those people. And again, I would just, I mean, those words that you said uh, probably 15 times in that talk uh, have never stopped ringing in my ears. When you say, let's capture the spirit of Matthew 25, let's also say, why not us and why not now? And there's no reason. Yeah. There's no reason for it to not be us and, and not be now. However, wherever you are, uh, don't compare where you are with someone else. But wherever you are, you can say, I will be more like what Christ is describing in, in those parables tomorrow than I was today. Uh, and uh, or today than I was tomorrow, whichever way works for you. But um, uh, why why not do that? And there's no reason not to. Uh, and why not measure ourselves by our love? Am I loving uh, in fact, maybe, and and uh, and then we can just wrap up. But maybe I'll just share two things, uh, real quickly. When I when I was writing my last little uh, booklet, it was just a short little 
thing um but it was on uh part of it was on what is the covenant path because we keep hearing about the covenant path and i hear people all over the place and well how do i know if i'm really on the covenant path and as i started to write it my intent was and, and i did this and i think it's accurate to say well you can you know you, you start out with baptism then as long as you're working towards the next governor or staying worthy of of renewing those covenants and so, those kinds of things and i think that's accurate but as i worked through it it became very clear to me that actually the best measure is do i love God and do I love his children? And that's the best measure as to whether you're on the covenant path or not. Um, and as I say that, it reminds me of uh, when I first got married, uh, my wife and I had this great experience. I was a, a, a ward clerk in a singles ward uh, and was the bishop put together for us this uh, little kind of leadership retreat where he invited the patriarch and his stake to talk. And the patriarch and his stake was an amazing man. He had been, um, he was a physician in Germany when World War II started. And so he was forced to be a Gestapo physician, mm. a member of the church who did not agree with being in the Gestapo, but had no choice and didn't feel like he should just let everyone die that he was a physician for. So uh, just an in incredible man with incredible stories. And, and there are a lot of things I can think of from that. But there's uh, one thing that I remember more than anything else. He talks about when he got to uh, America after the end of the war and some other things. And it was a little bit tough to be uh, a Gestapo doctor in America um, after that. And acceptance wasn't always uh, easy and so on. But uh, he was called to be a bishop and he still had some language barriers and things like that. And he said that uh, he asked himself, uh, he said, I can't do most of the things that I see good bishops around here doing. I just don't have that capacity. But I can love more than anybody else, or at least as much as anybody else. And that will be my goal as a bishop, is to love uh, as much as I can. And I think that's the measure that Matthew 25 is, is leading us to. Uh, let's love God and love each other. Amen, brother. Well, thank you for this. I, I always just have such fun discussions with you. I just wanted to invite a few thousand other people in on our discussion. So uh, th <laughs> well, thank you. For my privilege to discussion. be with you, Gary. I always learn so much from you and your podcast and your guests are, are amazing. And and uh, so thank you for what you're doing to, to help us come to know God. I mean, really, that's come follow me is so amazing. Right. And, yeah. and the podcasts that are they're supporting that. You know, the Savior's word, this is life eternal to come to know thee, the only true God and Jesus Christ to me is sent. I feel like come follow me is helping to, us to come to know them. And by coming to know them, we cannot not love them. We, You cannot know them and not love them. And you cannot know them and love them and not want to try to emulate them. And so all that you're doing and uh, the Come Follow Me program is um, advancing the work and helping us to become that people, um, the people of the covenant. So... Well, the Lord loves us, so and we hope that this has been helpful for uh, some people who've been listening. And if so, hopefully you can share it with some people that uh, it would also bless. But uh, we're just all wanting to come to to God through Christ together. So thank you, and have a, a wonderful day. Thank you.